This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Mike Brown, author, nerd, and host of the Dark Poutine Podcast. Join me and Morgan Knudsen, author, paranormal researcher, and host of the TV shows Paranormal 911 and Haunted Hospitals, as we take you on a journey for the curious about the unseen, the mysterious, and the incredible things happening in the world about us. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. Eileen J. Garrett is considered by many as one of the most active mediums of the 20th century and known for her objective approach to psi phenomena. Naturally sensitive from a young age to things psychic, as an adult, Eileen began to formally hone her skills under the direction of James Hewitt Mackenzie at the British College of Psychic Science in the 1920s. I have a gift, a capacity, a delusion, if you will, called psychic, Mrs. Garrett wrote in her book of personal memoirs, Adventures in the Supernormal in 1943. I have been called many things, from a charlatan to a miracle woman. I am, at least, neither of these. What follows is Morgan telling Eileen's life story, highlighting some of the famous medium's involvement in some well-known experiments in psychical research with the aim to gain a better understanding of supernormal perception. She is known for her co-founding of and tireless work within the Parapsychology Foundation. Morgan and I had the pleasure of interviewing Eileen Garrett's granddaughter, Lizette Coley, who has served as the vice president of the Parapsychology Foundation since 1978, charged with maintaining the foundation's valuable library, which is struggling to stay afloat in these difficult times. Here's Morgan. The paranormal is a magical place, and any good author and reader knows that magical places are filled with magical characters. Now, I don't mean magical in the princess and the dragon sense, but parapsychology has a way of demonstrating to us that magic exists in many forms and presents a task to science which, at times, feels impossible, and yet it always manages to scamper along and catch up. Perhaps that is one of the best things about parapsychology. It teaches us that magic, monsters, and fantastic characters really do exist in the brilliance of what we call reality. Often the most simple characters are born from humble beginnings, sprinkled with a bit of mystery, and as we journey with them, they become the greatest of heroes. The story of one such incredible and influential character, perhaps one of the most important in the book of scientific study and our journey into real magic, is that of Eileen Garrett, a young girl who would grow up to be one of the most revered mediums in the world and embark on a life adventure full of spiritualism, war, romance, and ending in founding one of the world's leading centers in parapsychological study. This is the remarkable story 
of Eileen Garrett. Eileen wasn't born into a famous family, nor was she a notable child in any way. In fact, she was so unremarkable, there was even debate about her date of birth. Census records seem to show that she was born in County Meath, Ireland, on the 14th of March in 1892, although most published accounts give the date as the 7th of March, 1893. When she was seven months old, her mother tragically passed away, and she was sent to live with her aunt, Martha, and her uncle William on their family farm, and they decided to call her instead by her middle name, Jeannie. Eileen spent most of her time alone, playing with the farm animals and connecting with nature. She had very few friends, and it wasn't long before she was considered a loner and the weird kid, and that she should just be left by herself to play with her imaginary friends. Eileen had three imaginary companions, whom she later identified from photographs as deceased children from the neighborhood. By the time school began, she would say she felt no different than anyone else, but her peers felt differently, and she became increasingly aware that her perception of the world was vastly different than those of other children. Martha had no use for Eileen's imaginary friends or invisible playmates either. Any experience Eileen had was dismissed as a fantasy and the imagination of a silly little girl. The night that began to change everything for Eileen didn't arise until she was a little older. It was the first time she'd experienced the apparition of Martha's sister, and she noted that she was holding something. She looked outside and saw the woman, Leonie, struggling with a baby in her arms who she didn't recognize. Immediately, Eileen rushed to her side to help her into the house. I'm going away now, and I must take the baby with me. Eileen fetched Martha, but when they looked for Leonie, she had disappeared. Confused, Martha turned on Eileen, accusing her of lying and that she was being a naughty little girl. Eileen pleaded with her aunt that the apparition was indeed real and that she was telling the truth, but Martha would hear none of it. Eileen ran to her room, falling into her bed and bursting into tears. She cried herself to sleep, and when she awoke the next morning, she felt sick all over, angry with grief and depression and her body heavy with the weariness of a long night of tears. She avoided her aunt for the rest of the afternoon, but that night at supper, Martha had news. She instructed Eileen that she was to leave the home and never return, for which Eileen was grateful. However, she was quickly sent to her room with no dinner at all, and later Martha informed her that the decision came on the heels of the news of Leonie's death. She had died in childbirth, the night Eileen had seen her, and Martha believed Eileen was solely responsible. Eileen was to be sent to a boarding school in Dublin, far from home where she would learn how to act and behave as a normal girl. Once studying in Dublin, Eileen kept to herself and her schoolwork, not divulging to anyone what she was experiencing in the supernatural. The boarding school was harsh and unforgiving, and yet another place that she simply didn't fit in. However, it didn't stop the experiences from occurring. The next spirit to pay her a visit was her Uncle William, and his appearance was very welcome. He had wonderful news to deliver. He told her that he understood her troubled relationship with Martha, but nevertheless encouraged her to submit her wishes whenever possible. William also said that in two years, she would be free, 
as she would be going to London for study. Just as promised, within two years, she was in South England, having been sent there due to a previous lung condition. At age 15, Eileen's fortunes seemed to be taking a turn for the better, and with her first real love, an architect named Clive Berry, who initially thought she was much older than she was, he took her on a whirlwind of romance, showing her the city and taking her places she had never been before. She fell head over heels and slowly but surely began to trust him with her strange experiences and abilities. Clive welcomed them, and on that note, proposed to her. She accepted, and it seemed like her fairy tale was finally beginning to show signs of a happy ending. However, once they were married, something about Clive shifted and changed. He confronted her about her mediumship and told her that she was to stop it immediately. He demanded she father his children to be a proper hostess to the many friends he wanted to have over and to keep her mouth shut about any feelings she may have had about it. However, childbearing would prove almost impossible for her, and after the death of three of her babies, it was advised Eileen find some activities to occupy herself outside of the home so that she didn't fall into depression. She jumped into the role of helping others and creativity, working briefly for social services and then branching out into the world of comedy and theatre. She loved the new energy it was bringing her. However, when Clive noticed her emotional shift from depression to joy, he immediately forbade it and locked her back in the family home. Relegated once again into isolation, Eileen had no choice but to turn inwards. She became able to perceive the world through her fingertips, and knowing came to her more easily than the nape of her neck, her feet, and her knees than through her eyes and ears. Clive began to notice that Eileen would have moments where she seemed to lose awareness and then begin talking about places and people no one else recognized. Concerned for her mental health, he sent her to a psychiatrist, but the consultation only convinced Eileen that she needed to come to terms with her experiences on her own. Finally, after months of continued effort, Eileen became pregnant and had a healthy baby girl at age 23, only to find out Clive had already gone elsewhere for a new wife. Their marriage collapsed, and Eileen fell in love soon after with another man. She predicted his passing due to a landmine explosion during the First World War and was confirmed correct. It wasn't until she fell into the arms of James Garrett, an old family friend who had ended up with a leg injury at a local hospital. As they visited, Eileen and James fell in love, and in 1918, she married him. For the next nine years, however, her abilities and the world of the paranormal began to consume her. Jim had no interest in it whatsoever, and no matter how Eileen tried to ignore her instinct and her calling, she simply could not. Her love of the world that she had glimpsed was so great and so powerful, her marriage ended after nine years, and she kept the last name of Garrett. Determined to follow her dreams and a greater understanding of what she knew to be true in her heart, Eileen found Edward Carpenter in 1919. In the two years she knew Carpenter, Garrett later wrote, she underwent the most profound spiritual experience of her life, a sense of release, of being set free, of being reborn. 
Finally, she was on the path her inner guidance was calling her towards, and she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, this was where she was meant to be. She wasn't crazy or having hallucinations, and she wasn't strange and outcast. She was a medium, and she had found her purpose. She had no idea this was only the beginning of her true adventure into what Carpenter called cosmic consciousness. But she was ready for whatever was to come. In 1926, Eileen met a man who claimed he was a clairvoyant, like Carpenter. He would prove to be another vital contact. He told her he believed that she had latent powers that encompassed a range of unique psychic abilities, including clairvoyance and clairaudience, distant healing, and psychometry. After accurately holding a watch, he passed her, and using the process of psychometry, gaining accurate impressions from the watch, Eileen was introduced to the College of Psychic Studies, where she proved to have an influence on table-tipping experiments. She also began to freely enter trances, where she channeled a man named Uvani from the Orient. He would relay messages from deceased people to the sitting group. As she moved about the world of spiritualism, Eileen wasn't entirely convinced her answers lie there. She began to branch outside of that circle and lean towards the scientific studies of Harry Price at the National Laboratory for Psychical Research. Throughout the 1930s, she volunteered her services wherever she could, seeking her own answers and helping any scientist who happened to be studying the psychic realm and survival after death. Eileen threw herself into the world of parapsychology, and the further down the rabbit hole she went, the more passionate she became. But trouble was brewing. While in Germany, World War I was coming to an end. But World War II was fast on its heels. A growing darkness was descending over Europe, in the form of swastikas and the red and black flag of the Nazi party. A sickness was beginning to spread, and knowing she was no longer safe to be speaking about psychic abilities, Eileen fled to France. Following her calling to help others, she immediately found a soup kitchen at an orphanage and began to point her efforts towards helping the children in trouble. But soon, the darkness spread. Germans flooded into France. The Nazis began to move their stronghold across the continent, destroying and pillaging cities and mines. Fearing for her life, Eileen got a flight to Portugal and barely escaped by the end of 1940. In America, the war was an ever-popular subject, and the press was in full swing, gathering whatever stories they could. Harrowing tales of air raids and hero soldiers flooded the newspapers. So when Eileen had contact with the spirit of a downed R-101 airship that had crashed in France, the world's eyes turned to her. In 1940, Eileen was urged to go to America to continue lecturing, and she did so, taking to the lecture circuit with the support of the American Society for Psychical Research. However, she wasn't talking about mediumship or the science of psychometry. She was delivering psychic news reports of the goings-on in Europe as the Nazi terror reigned strong. Now, residing in New York, and with the assistance of her longtime friend Frances Payne Bolton, she established the Creative Age Press, and from there, created the pinnacle of her endeavors, the Parapsychology Foundation, to support academic parapsychology. Soon, her daughter joined her in New York and took over the Parapsychology Foundation in her mother's honor. 
Eileen never forgot her roots in nature, often returning to the French gardens to read once the war had come to an end. The call and connection that nature had offered was forever intertwined with her knowledge of spirit and parapsychology. To her, they were inseparable. In September of 1970, while at the European residence of the Parapsychology Foundation and after holding the 19th International Conference, Eileen was reading quietly in her garden when she suffered a heart attack. She was rushed to the hospital only to pass away in Nice at age 78. On that day, her questions were answered and she became the very thing she loved so deeply, part of the non-physical energy that she so loved and which she called her home. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So today on Supernatural Circumstances, Mike and I are are really thrilled and excited to have, in my opinion, one of the leading people in in parapsychology uh, here with us today. And I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about her. Uh, Serving as vice president of the Parapsychology Foundation since 1978, Lizette Coley, since 2012, serves as president of the Parapsychology Foundation here. Granddaughter of the foundation's founder, Eileen J. Garrett, and daughter of the organization's past president, the late Eileen Coley. Lizette Coley brings to the task, since 1969, nearly 50 years of experience, working in many capacities with the organization. Ms. Coley follows in the nonprofit's mission to support scientific and academic research into psychic phenomenon and to provide professional resources and information to the academic and lay communities since its inception in 1951. Lizette, I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, well, it's, it's really an honor. I'm really pleased that oh, you took notice. So this is good. It's it's so good for us because, you know, a part of the you know, before before we, we, we started recording here, we were talking about how the the information and the, the the names and stories and legacies of so many of the the people in parapsychology has just been overlooked. And you've got such an incredible legacy. You've been doing this for so long. Um, what when when did you learn of your family's legacy in this? Well, that's very funny because Garrett uh, used to call herself a nine to five medium that she kept that part of her life, not that she was 
hiding her light under a bushel, you know, but it was somewhat a business or a calling and she really didn't muddy the waters with the family. So as a small child, I didn't understand. And I know as a mother myself, my own mother uh, often decried the fact of what are you going to do when uh, your child comes and says, Mama, is there such things as ghosts? And of course, the foundation is paying my salary and I'm and my kids were living above the library. So I would sort of sort of tap dance and say, well, we we don't really know. <laughs> you have to <laughs> you have to eliminate uh, all normal explanations before we get to the paranormal. So basically, I found out about this about the same time as puberty, which is a kick in the head. Right. About 12, 13. <laughs> yeah. About she does what? Oh, OK, <laughs> because uh I also grew up with people in the house like Aldous Huxley and uh, Salvador Dali and uh, a whole mix of people. So it, it shouldn't have come as a shock, but I, I truly wanted a grandmother that baked pies and uh, roasted a turkey for Thanksgiving and it was some kind of normal. And what I got was this woman in a turban that would arrive with an entourage <laughs> and was supposedly talking to spirits. And uh, what really sent me off is I knew about the Eileen Garrett Library, the research library that's been uh, that she's been maintained since '51, that was started with her own book collection and has been augmented to over 12,000 volumes today. Uh, I did my little term paper in eighth grade about, um, of course, what is psychic phenomena, whatever. And of course, I cribbed from the library and Mrs. G. And the teacher arrived to put the desk to put the the paper down on my desk and say, oh, class, this is wonderful. Did you know that Lisette's grandmother is Eileen J. Garrett? I've read all her books and she's a medium and she wow. talks to ghosts. And I was so hor horrified that he said, and could she, do you think she could come in to talk to the class? And you know, in puberty, you really want to just blend in and be... <laughs> <laughs> and this, I ran home to my mother and I said, oh, my God, he wants her to come. Please tell her not to come, not to come. <laughs> so it was quite a yeah, because uh, uh, I'm proud. I was very proud of her on one hand, but also appalled. So does that yeah. a very long winded answer for you? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really, really good answer. I can so relate to to your history with that, because because my family was just didn't talk about this stuff really at all and my grandmother she was extremely psychic as well and she would uh tell my mom and dad whatever you do do not let morgan get involved in yes, the paranormal no, do not absolutely sure i remember around the age of 12 somebody gave me a a, a of course a, a ouija board garrett yep flipped out I mean, oh my God, get rid of, I mean, Lord, I mean, you know, and at 12, that's what little girls do, play with Ouija boards in yeah. preparation for something else to play with, I guess, down the line. But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was very interesting. Then again, when I got to be in my uh, late teens or whatever, then I was more around the Parapsychology Foundation library, the offices, and I really sort of had the, the hook uh, set that, oh, this is pretty interesting, this stuff. So uh, in later years, I was around her and of course in the south of France with her where we had a European headquarters. So I would uh, meet a lot of the, of the uh, luminaries of the field. 
And I just wish that I wasn't such an airhead at that age because to have access to all these people, right? And the questions that I could ask now, supposedly in my maturity, would be so, would be so <laughs> valuable as to have had that uh, opportunity uh, too young. I peaked too early, basically, is what I'm telling you. That was me too, though. I, I, I totally understand that because right from an early age, I was about nine when I really, really got hooked into into this stuff and it was because of the house we were living in at the time in, in bc it was so active and there were so many strange things going on uh just anomaly wise and i was just absolutely enthralled with it and it was it, it was like a, a burst of magic it was it was so amazing and well, it, you know you were talking i was frightened you you were enthralled i was frightened of my own psychic functioning or the experiences that i had Probably because it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Garrett used to say, oh, it will come, dear. It will come. And I always wondered what the hell was the it. <laughs> you know, I was a little, I was really frightened of it. So I sort of shut that down. And my mother, uh, as most people who are the, uh, the um, what do you call it, spawn of a, of a, a celebrity, somewhat a person of notoriety, yep. have to sort of... Uh, reject that and claim their own being so she always said my mother always said that she didn't have a psychic gift at all me i'm an amalgamation of the two very very practical like my mother and yet a little out there like mrs g so i was like a moth to the flame but when i got too close i would retract really really quickly <laughs> yeah I, th I think a lot of people fall into that category though you know because we're we're taught so often in society that you know the unknown is is bad or it's mm -hmm. it's negative and this stuff shouldn't be mm -hmm. happening and so mm -hmm. you people get close to it and then they don't know how to deal with with what they're presented exactly. with and it's easy to yeah to take that to take that back seat i know for me it it really felt like uh, like a pull and like you were talking about it you just feeling mm -hmm. like that that calling mm -hmm. uh, what was how would you describe that what was your what was your draw to to carry this on I think in much the same way as Garrett, I really wanted to help people. When I was uh, in college and uh, what do you call it, working part-time at the office, this and that, it would be heartbreaking, particularly, uh, I'm like the earth mother, but when I would get calls from parents who uh, had a child that was, yeah, that, that was experiencing something that could possibly be the paranormal, and they were so distraught as to be able to help the child or somebody who, thought they were being possessed or whatever. So basically, I, I really wanted to help people get through this experience, whether or not it was validly psychic, or they were definitely, there was something that was disturbing them. And I, and much like Garrett, I would like to, in off times, it is somewhat of a normal uh, experience, and not at all what our friends in the media portray with uh, you know strange uh, exorcisms and this and that which is not to yeah. not to decry exorcisms but you know what i'm saying I, so basically my thing was to give pe to help people deal with psychic functioning in their own life and also uh hello get some of the answers to the questions like what does this all mean because garrett herself was uh she caught a lot of flack because people wanted her because she was a trans medium uh, in, with spirit communications. She, they wanted her to say that, yes, this is definitely the survival hypothesis that she 
who was definitely in contact with our dearly departed, right? And she couldn't cop totally to that uh, to that uh, understanding. She thought perhaps maybe this is an offshoot of uh, different personalities, something in my unconscious. It doesn't necessarily, maybe it's telepathy that I'm reading my sitters, the information. I mean, how do I do what I do? So she opened herself to be a guinea pig from a very young age, not looking for validation for what she could do because she knew, she trusted what she could bring through. What she didn't trust was the source. And uh, yeah. what did that mean for humankind? So anyway, am, am I off but, track? No. <laughs> I don't know. God no, uh, you know, it, it, and I love, I and I, I love that because her her approach to it, I think, is so valid, and it's it's an approach that is missing now. Where mm -hmm. you know, like you're mentioning some of the, the you know the, the media and and things like that, where you know everything that goes bump in the night has to be a ghost, or everything that goes mm -hmm. bump in the night, you know, has mm -hmm. to be. You know something that is a little bit more f almost folklorish, where this this science is is so vast, and I think it's so cool that Eileen knew that at such an early early age at that time period that it wasn't all about you know a, a, the the stereotype that yes. we think about. Yes, well, I I noticed growing up in this field that uh, anything to do with uh, psychic phenomena elicits a, a a very strong response. And unfortunately, it's either very positive or very negative. When I tell people what I do, and when I was working in the PTA when my kids were small, I wouldn't even cop to the fact that I was working in Parapsychology Foundation because it would open a can of worms. I would say, oh, yes, well, I work for a nonprofit. And somebody said, what's the name? And I'd have to say Parapsychology and get off-ramped uh, into what does that mean. But it seems that people would either, when they find out what I do, uh, take three steps forward and they are fascinated and tell me that Uncle Fred stopped a clock when he died, blah, 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 what do you think? Or they take three steps backwards and go, oh boy, you know, we got a live one. So there doesn't seem to be too much of a middle ground. People tend to be in either camp. And I think that's very foolish because a rabid skeptic who doesn't believe in anything is just as, um, just as dangerous, I think, um, as someone who believes everything, right? And somehow we have to be uh, choose a path in the middle and take from both and uh, use critical thinking and uh, really go forward uh, in that respect rather than being a member of either camp. Yeah, I completely agree. And I I totally second what you're saying as well about about it being, you know, 100 or 100. It, it's it's interesting mm. because the the militant skeptics that I've spoken to over the years, I often find that some of their, some of the way that they deal with the unknown by just shutting down and saying, that's not real, you're nuts. It's, it's almost more of a coping mechanism than it is a, a, uh, you know, a, any sort of practical approach, because oftentimes they'll take evidence that's just very blatant and they'll come up with some excuse for it that's so outlandish that <laughs> the excuse doesn't well, even make any sense. No, I mean, there really is a fear of psi. Char Charlie Tart used to talk about that. And uh, even our researchers ourselves, you know, it's funny uh, because there's so many different 
um, ways to to study psychic phenomena or whatever that somebody's uh, survival forget that I want to talk about telepathy and you you really have various biases within the multidisciplinary uh, field of parapsychology as to what to believe and what not to believe and uh, it's funny that some some parapsychologists will you know let them sit in the lab and uh, do Zener cards or the old fashioned way from uh, what do you call it, from Rhine. Uh, and, and it's nice and clean and it's not, it doesn't sort of mess up their worldview. On the other hand, if you're doing spontaneous field work and uh, you actually come and see something or experience something, that is pretty earth shaking. So I find even within our own researchers uh, of note, that some are uh, pretty, still pretty closed-minded, and God forbid they actually tripped over something for real. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's true. But, but but that's not. I'm not categorizing. You know, I'm not uh, characterizing the entire field. But I I do find that sometimes that's the case. Yeah. No, I agree. And and mm. it's it's funny how people. It it's funny how people in you know even even in parapsychology tend to get rooted within a certain belief system. And, and I think the, I think the, where, where things get lost in, in the scientific community a little bit is that science becomes too much of a religion rather than a tool. Mm-hmm. And it's like some of this stuff is, we are still at the beginning stages as, as far along as we've come and we've come a long way. There's still so much that we just don't well, know yet. For sure. I mean, Garrett herself, um, yes, wanted to know how this works, if in fact this works. But her overriding um, interest and also mine uh, is as to, well, what does it mean for humankind? What does that tell us? I mean, I I don't necessarily have to know if I'm going to land on a cloud uh, strumming a lyre, which she told me that she would not (laughs) definitely not be sitting on a damp cloud doing that. But in in any case, uh, yeah, I'm not so... I'm more interested in the why and how to utilize this and what does it mean for us and a, a greater understanding of the human condition. Yeah, and Mike, I think that's what you and I have talked about so much as well. Like we've we've talked about this idea that, you know, it really is more about the causation now. The why, like what is what it, what does this mean and what this what is this creating? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I'm hearing a lot of names that I recognize, like Charles Tart and Aldous mm-hmm. Huxley and um, Salvador Dali, and and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, I these know. are these are all uh, things that I've been studying uh, for years and years. My the first real look at um, this kind of thing was uh, Charles Tart's book, uh, Altered States of Consciousness. And uh, how, you know, through various and different means, uh, we can approach these kind of states that will take us somewhere other than uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the normal everyday world. Um, how uh, much exploration have you done, Lizette, into that kind of thing yourself? Me looking personally. At- I'm late to yeah. the table, my dear, because I was busy maintaining all the foundation's programs mm-hmm. in much the same way as uh, Garrett somewhat when she founded the foundation in 51, she somewhat soft peddled her psychic proclivities. 
mm-hmm. because she realized that being a trans medium uh, would be off-putting to many uh, researchers or scientists uh, that she wanted to lure to look at our uh, look at our phenomena. So we've spent the a, a large part of the foundation's time in being oh so scientific and this and that. Whereas uh, now with age and maturity, I think I, I said to you, you know, I'm impatient. I've paid my dues and uh, I'm sort of like a schizophrenic. I mean, I'm two people here and I really want to get at the meaning of my own experiences. And I'm also less hampered with age uh, because I really don't give a damn now what anybody thinks. As long as I'm not speaking for Parapsychology Foundation and wrecking the the respect and the uh, what do you call it the the hard work that we built up all these years of having a clean reputation for you know scientific research and and uh, uh, not playing playing with games uh, with the phenomena. But now with time, I've I've even started uh, my own little personal supernormallegacy.com, a YouTube channel where I'm sort of investing that realizing that it is it is strange to as morgan has experienced herself it is strange to have a really highly psychically functioning person in the family you know so uh yeah it's time for me to experience or or contemplate a little bit more of what i'm i have experienced and continue to do it's really sad to me that uh paranormal and supernatural and uh, psychic research uh, the real stuff has all been drowned out by this nonsense of people going into uh, an old building and and asking if some serial killer is still there. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do true crime as a business, but uh, it's it's like um, that whole thing has drowned out what you and folks like Morgan are are trying to do. And that that's the only reason really why I agreed to do this podcast, because I didn't want to do just another let's go. Uh, yeah, investigate or whatever. Yeah. Right? Poke, stories. Poke, yeah. Around. Poke around. Yeah. So what do you think that we can do to really bring this more forward to people in a way that's palatable? I mean, it's a pretty nerdy conversation at times, but. Nerdy conversation, but it doesn't have to be because I always say that, uh, you know, an interest in this stuff, you don't have to be a, a card carrying psychic. You don't have to be a Harvard professor. You can be in a trailer park in New Jersey, and there's certainly nothing wrong in the trailer park in New Jersey. But we all, it's part of the human condition, and we should all be open enough and accessible enough. And I don't mean to dumb down what the science tells us. But to be able in, in, uh, in uh, normal parlance, discuss this, because I think that the answers that we're looking for uh, don't necessarily fall out of a Harvard professor's mouth. And everybody is, I, I, I like the idea of having everybody having open uh, conversations about this in an accessible manner. And that's exactly what you guys are trying to do. So I applaud you for that. And uh, somewhat I'm, 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 I've got my oars in the water trying to do somewhat the same. It's, I think it's so important. And I think it's so, it, it, it's so crucial, I think, for people, especially right now, because the, the journey, at least I know for me and 
Lizette, you've, you've talked about this a little bit, where it really comes back to turning inward and that mm-hmm. greater connection with, with who not only who we are, but the greater part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And that non-physical side of, of the world, there's, there's such a there's such a connection there that can be gained through this. And I know some of the the amazing research and, and whatnot that's been done and is, is happening now into into consciousness and you know, the leading edge conversations that are, are have that we're having. And I, I, I agree with you guys. I, I think the you know, a lot of these these shows and whatnot, they're it it's almost it's almost simplifying to the point of of absurdity. Well, the, it's the bastardizing the whole thing, I think, Completely. somehow. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that's not good at all. Um, no, and it's, it's. I know it's something, even even when I get called I don't even watch show or... these shows, though. People people are amazed yeah. that I'm, they, they think that I'm watching, I I don't want to watch any of them, you know, really. No, and, and I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat. Like, when I get called to do a show or whatnot, like I'm, uh, whether it's, it's something like Haunted Hospitals or whatever, I mean, my goal every time I, I, get called to be interviewed for these is to try to elevate the conversation mm-hmm. and to use that opportunity to kind of elevate how things are being presented or the information that people are, are taking away from it. Mm-hmm. And what I've found interestingly is that, that, you know, the, uh, the, the ones that I end up picking, I'm just ridiculously picky, but uh, the ones that I, I end up choosing and then the, the audience that listens the people really are ready for that conversation. Like they, they want more, you know? Exactly. And that's why I want to, the foundation has always acted as a clearinghouse for information about a very complex subject. And that's what we try to do with our maintaining the, the Garrett research library, our publications, our grants and awards. Uh, unfortunately, the foundation is uh, under great uh, financial stress at this point so i'm i'm bailing <laughs> as fast as i can uh because obviously uh the world uh has uh, many uh, uh things that it wants to support we're in a, such a mess everywhere that i don't know if they really want to work on parapsychology and what does that all mean and yet people like La- lawrence lachan the late lawrence lachan who i was very fond of and worked closely with garrett and that's not why i was fond of him but he was somewhat like a grandfather to me he always said that uh, the psychic phenomena is like the last wild card in the pieces of the puzzle mm-hmm. that, uh, that we really should be paying attention to what this means and and delving a bit more into that so a wild card. So let's see if we're going to come up with aces at some point. Yeah, absolutely. What What do you think Eileen Garrett would feel about where things are with parapsychology right now? What What do you th- What do you think her opinion would be about that? Um, I think she would be somewhat impatient. I mean, obviously there have been great strides made, right, from when she started this in the fifties or whatever, sure. going to these international conferences. I think she. We sponsored, I think, like 41 of them. And uh, and she she really wanted various disciplines, uh, a biologist, a quantum physicist. I mean, she wanted dis- different disciplines to look at the phenomena and discuss this. So I don't think she would like parapsychology uh, um, talking to itself in a small, just the parapsychologist, which of course, that's a, there's a value in that because you're talking the same language and uh, you're, you're on the same playing field. But I think it's a much wider 
a, a much wider lens is needed and different disciplines. So I think she would uh, decry that and really opt for getting more people involved from different disciplines. Uh, Eric Dingwall, famous anthropologist, was a good friend of hers, and he used to really go after and say, now, why would you have funded that? And why are you dealing with that uh, researcher? And she'd say, yeah. well, because you we never know, do we? I mean, she, she would take a flyer <laughs> on somebody's, and, and not that she suffered fools, believe me, because uh, our grant rolls are a pretty big success rate. But you have to sort of think out of the box because this is a very strange box that we're in. So if you don't think out of it and, and, and welcome new blood to the field, um, then, uh, yeah, we're not really progressing as quickly as we would hope to. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I, I, I love I love that analogy of of, you know, that we're in a we're in a very, very strange box. And, you know, I've always found that not only this field specifically, but just kind of the universe in general, it's so pro expansion. I mean, everything is, is growing and moving and it, you know, things want to move forward. So I, th I think if we, you know, if we end up getting, you know, stuck in the old, the old ways or, you know, not allowing these new ideas to come in, then, I mean, we're literally going to end up either rutted or going backwards. I mean, <laughs> this is, we're, we're well... making such grand advances all the time. But as we discussed before, you really need you you need science and the meticulous attention to detail to be Definitely. able to have a firm to have a firm uh, what do you call it a platform to which to build on. But at the same time, you do know you do need that eureka moment and that creative something to add to the mix. Uh, you know, I always say with the with the Garrett Library that all the the, the answers to the questions that we're all looking for are maybe all yes they're in the library we just haven't put the recipe together yet yeah oh i love that oh that's goosebumps mm. yeah i love mm. that what what let's talk about the library a little bit because it is is so important and so crucial can you tell the audience a little bit about that well, it's it's not, you know, the shelves, as I mentioned, it's now grown to over 12,000 uh, volumes. There's a very strong um, international periodical um, section uh, where periodicals in different languages, because that's another thing. We tend to think that this is just an English uh, speaking, uh, what do you call yes. party that we're attending to. And hell no. I mean, there are other cultures. It's psychic functioning appears cross-culturally uh, down through time. So we have all these periodicals. We have a 600, I think it's about 600 item audiovisual collection that's all itemized and cataloged and a very, very fine rare book collection. But when I say a parapsychology library, people tend to think that uh, the books on the shelves would only be um, what you would expect with say the journal of parapsychology, what do you call it? Uh, you know, scientific matter. Sure. And what, the, the, what sets the Garrett apart, and it's one of the world's uh, top three libraries probably rivaling or in, in the mix with the SPR, the Society for Psychical Research's library, which is right now in Cambridge, and also the one at the University of Freiburg. Um, the Garrett was crafted to have an eye to the materials on the shelves that you would need to understand so that you can then 
take the jump into a paranormal hypothesis. You know, so there's a, there's a little bit of grounding, like saying quantum physics. There are some elementary books, if you could call it that, that at least would give you a grounding to be able to get into these complex fields. So it was crafted very much with an idea to having background information, including the cutting age of the day and whatever. But uh, we could have filled the shelves with uh, what I like to call uh, airport books. You know, we could have had how to be psychic in 21 steps or whatever, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. I was a teenage werewolf or whatever. So those books never made it to the shelf. And yet there are, uh, you know, we try to be realizing that we've, we serve two constituencies, basically, at Parapsychology Foundation. Yes, academia. But yes, the public at large, because as you mentioned, it's the public at large that is really uh, reaching out and needy for information that they can uh, chew on and uh, understand for themselves. So there are very, very uh, complex tomes, and yet there are uh, books that uh, anybody could read and use as a springboard to get more and more involved in the phenomena at hand. I think it's so important right now because like, as I say, I've had, even when I back during the pandemic, I was doing a, a live, the live stream of, mm -hmm. of spiritual healthcare and we were doing it once a week. And it was, it, and it was so interesting that the people that were, that were attending because we were, I was basically using parapsychology to give these people tools to, to deal with the, the emotional side of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And so many people were just so ready for this. And they they wanted the answers and you know yes they would watch the t some of the tv shows and they would watch the you know the the, the crazy but they right. kind of knew it was crazy and they still had questions and they still had these experiences and so often they would relate these these amazing experiences that were so uplifting and so impactful to their their worldview and their mm -hmm. life and it changed so much and I just I think the I think the the parapsychology foundation library is just so key for people like that that are are looking for you uh, like you say a springboard. Yeah, you know it it reminds me of uh, being New York City based uh, for nine eleven, uh, the day of the uh, that awful day. I was in the office and I got a phone call from someone, obviously distraught, and was saying, oh. Can a can a soul uh, uh, can a soul be trapped in an airplane? And I said, well, is one of your family members on an airplane? One of the the planes, yes. And I realized at that point that my knee jerk reaction was to help that person and spout, yeah. oh yes, we all go on. You know, this is the, yes, of course. Go, they'll go to the light. Everything will be fine. And then I realized, no, wait a minute. This is like first what is it the uh, the doctor's creed or whatever uh first yeah. do no harm because yeah. if they if they come to parapsychology foundation and i'm spouting that oh yes we all go on am i putting them on a path to go to every bogus psychic functioner they can find on the street yeah. you know so it's 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 very it's a it's a tight it's a tightrope that you're walking because and it all comes down to clearing house for inform quality information and uh, let people try and, and put this all together for themselves with guidance. But, uh, you know, you have to come because you're bringing your own uh, individual experiences and uh, makeup to the problem at hand. 
So I want to be able to to give them the tools, as you mentioned before, the tools, just like you are, uh, uh, that they can manage and go forward. Yeah, that the journey I think is it. It's so individual for people, and I, I your your story is so impactful about about nine mm-hmm. eleven because, you know, that's often the people that knock on our door are people that are genuinely in distress. They're they're worried. They you know they they they're dealing with with things that are just way above their pay grade. And you know that's and I grew up in the, I grew up in the field, sweetie, and I'm scared when something happens. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Like, what you know? What what is that? And what does that mean? Why now? You know that sort of yeah. thing. So it can happen to anybody. Part of the human condition, once again. Completely, and I, you know, I think with the especially with with the foundation and whatnot, and that importance of of clear cut information. Here in Edmonton, we were going back and forth a little bit over breakfast about. Um, about some of these these so-called courses that are being being pushed as as parapsychology courses yeah. that are are just oh I mean it's it's crazy it's absolutely it's crazy awful. and I, I think our that story about that you know that individual with 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 nine eleven it really cuts yeah. to the chase of why the right information is so important. Well, you know, my grandmother used my grandmother and my mother used to say that they would spend. And of course, my grandmother in fifties and she died in nineteen seventy, but she would spend all her time trying to explain what parapsychology is. Nowadays, everybody knows our buzzwords. I don't think they still understand what they mean, but they're all talking ESP and remote viewing and blah blah blah. But they and I spend instead of explaining what it is, I spend most of my time explaining what it is not. So that's, that's the problem as well, you know, but uh, slowly by slowly, once they find our resources, uh, yours, mine, and uh, other people in the, in the field. And of course, I've seen you around, I haven't seen you personally, sweetie, but in the Paramook and, and, and projects like that, uh, that uh, we supported uh, Nancy's and Grony and our dearly departed, most much beloved Carlos Alvarado, uh, those kind of things that are accessible in your own living room that you can listen to and uh, and and you know that's why I the foundation now we've been putting uh, I call it our legacy uh, uh, project in that uh, you know we used to do all these perspective lectures and I like the word perspective because that didn't claim that this is how it works it's just a perspective but uh, we have a YouTube channel uh, with I think it's uh, Anna what is it over 150 items now. Uh, not only from our conferences, uh, lectures, but when I resonate to some YouTube video or something that I find palatable and useful, we put that in there. So I always tell people, listen, because I find, unfortunately, a lot of people don't read anymore. What's a library? You know, I'm hoping that one day someone will come in our door and go, oh, this is cool. Look at that. Look at all these books in one place. All in one so, place. <laughs> yeah, isn't this, isn't this cool? You know, a card catalog. How cool. <laughs> I have the, the, our card catalog is in the garage because I'm a dinosaur and I refuse to throw the damn thing out, even though it's digital, you know, but then again, I don't do cut and paste very well, as you know, with, uh, <laughs> with technology, but uh, I would hope that, uh, yeah, if people at least don't read, they li- and they like podcasts. Hello, now that I'm on a podcast, right? <laughs> it's a different world of transfer of, of information, isn't it? With podcasts yeah, and video, it's rather making than it accessible, yeah. 
So whatever floats your boat, however you get, uh, um, what do you call it, fed the information, uh, we want to be accessible and, and, and have that going forward. Yeah, it really is, I think, giving giving people the, the avenues, you know, like what you're doing, because, you know, I think the more... The, the easier access, the easier accessible that, that this stuff is for people, the, the more likely they are with everybody's 10 second attention span, they are to actually, you know, yeah, go in you know, and, and yeah, they do. Something. They have, there is a short, ex a, a, a short um, attention span, but to a certain extent, I think if you, that we, we, we sometimes uh, uh, don't give people enough credit that they will rise to the occasion. I mean, I go to these conferences and, and, and these lectures and I'm not all knowing. I get lost in the sauce sometimes. I mean, I remember having conferences and I run around and I've asked some of the presenters, uh, is this good? I mean, what was, what was the result? Uh, is, should I be pleased? You know, I had to do it. In 74, I was, we did the first uh, quantum physics and parapsychology in Geneva, one of the first to, to, to talk about that topic. And I did my little homework. I must have been about in 74. I was, yeah, I was 24. So I did my index cards like with Schrodinger's cat and the Einstein Podolsky paradox. <laughs> yeah. And I ran around trying and saying to the, these big mucky mucks like Feynman and all in Costa de Beauregard. And I would go around and say, Oh, oh was that rather like the Einstein Podolsky paradox? And they would go, <laughs> Oh, yes. And go blah, blah, blah. And uh, the good old Schrodinger's cat. So now my secret is out of the bag. But to go back to that, I think people will, you know, listen and rise to the occasion and they'll take something out of it. Hopefully, I hope mm -hmm. they won't get the wrong end of the stick. But uh, yeah, it should be out there so that they can partake and uh, take it in small, small bites if necessary to chew uh, and then come back for more. Yeah. What, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you like to see for the Parapsychology Foundation going forward? Money. <laughs> well, yeah. Money, money, <laughs> yeah. money, because I would be r rather dangerous if we had money or the amount of money that uh, we were very lucky that uh, Mrs. Everybody thinks that it was Garrett's money and it was never Garrett's money. She had a very good friend who was a sitter that she met in 1927 the Honorable Frances P. Bolton, who turned out to be one of the richest women in the States and also a, a Republican um, uh, member of uh, Congress uh, representative. And she was always very interested in uh, psychical research. In fact, Garrett uh, convinced her when she went down, when Garrett went down, and I think it was 34, to Rhine to do the famous card guessing experiments and this and that. She she got she convinced Bolton to support Ryan, uh, and uh, they really wanted to look into the survival question. Um, that went along for a while, but Ryan, who was in a difficult place um, because he needed tenure and his scientific reputation, he realized that um, immediately puddling around in the survival question was a big ask, and he preferred to diligently, and I think he made the right call to uh, continue with his, his uh, you know, car Zenner cards and his scientific methodology. So Mrs. Bolton, I always uh, sort of, I tease Sally Feather, his uh, daughter, that uh, 
that decision really gave birth later on to Parapsychology Foundation because the two ladies, uh, Mrs. Bolton with her money and Mrs. G with her contacts and her uh, psychic functioning, uh, decided that they were tired of trying to get other people to fund the research that they were interested interested in and god damn it in 51 why don't we do this you know it sounded like mickey rooney let's have a show why don't we do our own foundation <laughs> and then we can fund what we are interested in so in point of fact uh in 51 that's exactly what they did using mrs bolton's uh money and of course that has run down although i think being in existence for 70 years and living off that endowment and never getting any influx of cash hint hint uh i we should we should be patted on the back that we're at least still we're on life support but we're still breathing so if i got my hands on money of course i would want to uh uh what do you call it um, save the library or and grow it or whatever digitize it there's so much that can be done with it find a good home for it if i do not have the wherewithal to continue to um maintain it because I refuse to see it being broken up for the reasons that I just said with all the background information and the care that went into uh, to, to creating the collection. But what I think is most important part, once I farm the library out, if I have to, uh, then it's the, uh, the, small, the small grants, but the scholarships and taking a chance, like the Eileen Garrett scholarship. So many of our uh, PhDs today were lowly little Garrett scholarship winners as undergraduates and, 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 and PhD candidates. And they got Garrett scholarships and then they got a Bolton fellowship when they got a PhD to write up their, their thesis. So I take great pride in, in, in seeing all the people, the good that was done years ago and now we see the fruit of our labor. But I'm greedy and I want to see more fruit. I want a bigger harvest. So Absolutely. I need, yeah. So I need some more money. I even tried to write to the government. I mean, we did a lot of the early remote viewing. Uh, we, Targ and Putoff were our early grantees, and I was very pleased in the early 70s to go play the man. I felt like the man from Uncle, which was an old TV show that you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. But you had to have your badges, and, and it was like a whole an SRI uh, what do you call it? And of course, that has come to light now that uh, the government was involved with, um, you know, the uh, psychic espionage um, information with remote viewing. But now, why was I telling you that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess because it's all the seed things that you need money in these little, little yeah. grants mm -hmm. to plant. And hopefully we'll reap something going forward. So send me money. Oh, that's what I wanted to tell you. I used to write to the government. I wrote to the Defense Department once. And uh, I said, listen, you guys are giving money. Uh, you don't even know who to write, who to give the right, correct money to. You don't want to waste your money. Now, why don't you give it to Parapsychology Foundation who knows who the players are? And it's spell parapsychology. And I and I believe me, it would be very fruitful. And all that got me was somebody who I was convinced was a spy who showed up to the library, was in or whatever, and said, Excuse me, Miss Coley, but how did you know to get to such and such, whoever I wrote to? <laughs> so you know, I was wow. on the I was uh, yeah, they wanted to know how I got to that with the idea of that. 
but I haven't seen any money forthcoming. So if you see any while I'm beating the bushes, right, um, send it my way because uh, we are a 501c fully tax exempt foundation. Well, how how can how can case. people donate? Like, let people know because I like I hundred percent agree with this idea. I, I think um, yeah. How can people, our, how can people help? Well, there's a on our main website, you know, we maintain five websites, but our main website is uh, www.parapsychology.org. Uh, and there is a donate button and you can uh, donate, I guess that's via PayPal. Yes. And or get a hold of me and, and send it to our address, P.O. Box. What is our 1562 um, New York, New York? And uh, write me a check. Bring me a bag of coins, <laughs> whatever. Well, a state. Be Don't forget a state. Don't forget a state planning. If you're yeah. worried about survival, <laughs> I'll try and put in a good word. I mean, <laughs> what can I tell you? I'm desperate, uh, but uh, I'm making light of it. But uh, really, any any help that we can uh, get our hands on to continue because I'm rather like, I may not be psychic like Eileen Garrett, but I'm rather like her and the unsinkable Molly Brown, because I'm not about to excuse my French, uh, give up the ghost, right? We haven't yeah. come this way. We haven't got the answers that we were looking for. And uh, by hook or by crook, I will uh, go to the match trying to keep the foundation going. But it does please me that there are people such as yourselves who, uh, if I drop the banner, Hopefully, uh, you guys and the people that we've funded in the past uh, will continue to march forward. Well, that's that's our our aim. Like, I mean, we, you know, just for myself of doing this for a couple of decades now, it's it's it like you it is such a deep rooted passion for me to be able to to carry on this conversation. Mm -hmm. It's an honor to have you here Aww. to be able to talk about this because it it's truly like it means so much. And the more we can, you know, get people on board and, and whatnot, and we're going to be posting for the listeners, we're going to be posting all of these links on the Supernatural Circumstances, the the, the Facebook right. page and show notes and things like that. So um, you guys are going to be able to find this information really, really, really easily. And, you know, the, the more that you guys can spread the word, help out, share the YouTube channel, all of that kind of thing makes a massive, massive difference. So Lizette, thank you thank so much you. for being here. Thank you, here. guys. Thanks, Mike. And uh, one day in person, Morgan. Okay. Oh, no, it's happening. This this year is my is my plan. <laughs> Once to, we get to past COVID, hopefully. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. All right then. Bye. Here's Morgan for this episode's segment of Spiritual Healthcare. In this episode's edition of Spiritual Healthcare the segment of the show where you get to be the creator and designer of your paranormal and spiritual experience, we're going to tell you about a process called the suitcase. Sometimes, getting into a meditation or letting go of yesterday's concerns or troubles can seem like a daunting task. Stopping those negative thoughts or negative momentum can seem hopeless. This process is to help you put down those worries and concerns so you can focus on the day ahead, the task at hand, or a meditation process. Close your eyes and focus on your breathing. Take three deep breaths, and with each one, feel whatever tension you have in your body being released upon each exhale. Don't rush through this. When your breathing becomes normal again, imagine a calm, quiet space. And in that calm space, you have a container. These could be anything, 
a box, a suitcase, anything you can fill up or close and seal. Now, imagine yourself taking each one of your stresses or worries and placing it in the suitcase or container. Don't focus on it for long, just long enough to place it in the box. And once it's in there, it is no longer your concern. Do this with each worry. And as you do, feel the relief as it disappears into the box or suitcase. Remember, you can come back and open up this suitcase or container whenever you feel the need to. But right now, imagine yourself zipping up or closing the box and placing it by your front door. Take another three deep breaths and open your eyes. Now, you can take that new feeling into your everyday tasks or into your meditation with less resistance and more clarity. You need nothing to be happy, but you need something to be sad. Remember, at the end of seeking, all is consciousness. Stay in peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supernatural Circumstances, a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast Podcast Network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can find out more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and more about me and listen to my other show at DarkPatine.com. Feel free to email the show at SupernaturalCircumstances at gmail.com. Good night for now.